This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. WVEZ is supported by Chicago Humanities, presenting live events with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, comedian Reggie Watts and filmmaker Miranda July, and artists Hebrew Brantley and Amanda Williams in conversation, plus MSNBC chief correspondent Ali Velshi on small yet powerful acts of courage throughout history. Tickets for these events and more conversations on arts, culture, and current affairs at chicagohumanities.org. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is the Morning Shift's Friday News Roundup. Dorothy Brown will not be running for re-election. This is a good time, a good time for me to move on to the next level. I really want to uh, enact real criminal justice reform. I want to stop the illegal flow of guns into, into Cook County. We just need to get politics uh, out of that office. I think everybody has the right mindset about it, and and all of us want uh, the city and the state uh, as well as the jobs that will come along with that casino. Uh, We all want it to succeed. That's Governor Pritzker talking about the viability of a Chicago casino. Also in there was Bill Conway. He's taking on Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox. And longtime county clerk Dorothy Brown announced she won't be seeking re-election this year. With us to break down those stories in more are Monica Davey of the New York Times, freelance journalist Kim Bellware, and WTTW's Paris Schutz. Paris, let's start with a casino story. A report came out this week that talks about the proposed locations on the south and west side. What exactly does the report say? Well, the report says it's just not going to work for any of those locations, but primarily because the tax structure set up by the General Assembly is too onerous on any private operator. So a private operator would have to to spend, uh, in effect, 72% of their revenue in taxes. The profit margin is going to be so low. But let's rewind a bit. When Mayor Lightfoot came in, their lobbyists down in Springfield, uh, while this bill was, you know, being put together, they injected this um, this provision to have a feasibility study uh, done. And Mayor Lightfoot from the beginning has expressed skepticism that this would work. There are other people, you know, the person that passed the bill, Terry Link, the state senator, says, why didn't you give a developer a chance to come in and pick their spot and say, you know what? I can make this work with this tax structure because now, you know, it seems like it's DOA unless they make big changes. Well, then there's also this question about whether or not that leaves the city with a downtown location or a city-operated casino. Monica, talk about that a bit. Well, it seems like anyone who was thinking this was going to be the patch for the budget problems for the city should probably slow down and wait. There's a lot more thinking to do here. I think the sense was that there were these five sites that were being looked at really seriously on the south and west sides. And I'd say that the consultants' findings would argue that we're sort of back to the drawing board. Maybe, I I mean, I, I just don't think we know where or if this will ever happen. But there is this tension at play in that We know communities on the south and west sides of the city say, hey, we need investment. Some folks look at this as a potential opportunity for that. Um, But then we're also hearing other parties say downtown is the most feasible place for this. But then that opens up a whole other can of worms in terms of transportation and congestion downtown, Kim. Well, the 
Uh, five sites are spread through four different wards, and only two of the aldermen whose ward en- encompassed the site were even on board with it. Two of them said not interested, and that knocked out three sites right away. So if there had been any feasibility for a community um, in Bronzeville, which had two locations and then one on the south side, even the, the local aldermen, as much as they might have been interested in the potential for jobs or development, they didn't love the idea. The formula here is you want the jobs coming from the neighborhood, you want the money, and this is according to experts, you want the money coming from elsewhere, you know, as, you know, most preferably from tourists. Um, and so you have to find a location that's going to satisfy those things. So a place where tourists are going to go and then a place that does need the development of the jobs. And Michael Reese Hospital definitely in this feasibility study would satisfy those things the best. But again, you know, you're, you're hamstringing a developer. If a developer decides they want to come in and they want to give it a go, they might want to choose their own slot that's going to make them money. But what does this mean overall, Monica, do you think, for the this massive gambling expansion law that Governor uh, Pritzker signed into law this, this summer? Does this send the state back to the drawing board? I sort of think it does. I mean, it, it, it seems to suggest that, again, this isn't really feasible as written. The tax structure is such that I'm not sure who's going to want to do it. You have to look at this and realize that it brings up some of those issues that Chicago has always wrestled with. The south and west sides need the economic development, but do they want to have a casino actually there? And sort of some of the inequities that happen in the city feels to me like this this raises them all over again. And I talked one of the, um, Alderman Michael Scott in the West Lawndale neighborhood, I'm sorry, North Lawndale, um, and that's where one of the West Side sites was. He says, I don't think this is going to stimulate a development in our neighborhood unless this is part of a package of new restaurants and new small businesses going in with it. I don't think this alone, because people just aren't going to come out here in big numbers to gamble. And then there's also the question of the social impact um, on the neighborhood. We've seen uh, studies coming out of ProPublica about what's been happening in the state when it comes to gambling addiction. Kim, talk a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, video gambling, when that whereas that expansion, ProPublica's report showed that the state really didn't do much to kind of keep that in check during the public comment periods when the casinos were discussed before, you know, Finance Committee and things like that. Though a lot of the people who were against this, they brought up the social costs and how it's often um, borne disproportionately by poor people or people who are maybe more um, likely to develop an addiction. So this is something that, you know, if, if you are already worried about, you know, that impact in your community or, you know, what's the treatment like for that? So for the con side, that's weighing the social costs of gambling addiction or of just where that money is being spent. They're sort of wondering, is there anything else in this package that's going to maybe insulate against that in case the problem gets worse? And we should say the state is counting on casino revenue uh, to help fund Governor Pritzker's you know, big rebuild Illinois infrastructure plan. We're talking about $45 billion. So, Monica, how important is it for Governor Pritzker to find a plan that does work? There are other casinos that are part of that package. Again, I I think that if people thought this was a done deal, they're going to be back looking again and and sort of starting this from scratch. That's a sense I have from listening to Mayor Lightfoot's comments about it. I mean, this would be the biggest casino in Illinois by a ton. And so it's in Pritzker's interest to make sure this happens. It's not necessarily in a lot of other lawmakers' interest to to make sure this happens. I mean, the other casinos are already, you know, kind of good to go. Why would you go back to Springfield? Why would suburban and downstate lawmakers say, well, we want to go help fix this thing for Chicago? So Pritzker's going to have a very heavy lift. 
lift uh, to try and get lawmakers to maybe do something that's not in their own interest. But there's still lawmakers that say, keep the track structure as it is and offer other sweeteners, you know, give them the land for free, maybe give them some TIF money. There's ways to make it profitable. I mean, but one thing we have to remember is that the infrastructure plan, it's that's a statewide plan. That's, that's not statewide. just for but, Chicago. But, but, and Chicago wants the casino money, though, for, for its pension funds, too. I mean, I mean, so it's in both the state and the city's interest to get this done if they, if they are re- relying on this revenue. Well, on Wednesday, Governor Pritzker and thousands of Democrats gathered for Governor's Day at the Illinois State Fair. Uh, any standout moments, Monica? If there was somebody who maybe should be thanked for sort of the the tone of that event, it would be former Governor Rauner. I think that what you're seeing is a moment where Illinois Democrats have a trifecta and they are celebrating that. They have celebrated that with policy and law and and they're having some fun. <laughs> Kim, what about for you? Nothing that stood out, but it was interesting in, in reading that Governor Pritzker also, he said he did extend an invitation to Republicans because he thanked them at the end. And that was something that really stood out at the end of the legislative session where uh, lawmakers were saying it was so much less acrimonious than it had been in years before. So, you know, Pritzker might be trying to kind of play nice in the middle, but statewide, the Democrats, they don't have to play that nice because they have super majorities. Yeah, it's also a lot easier to be really nice, nice when, when you're winning. <laughs> You've got the votes and you yeah. know, and you have you have some low hanging fruit that you can take care of. Yeah. I mean it feels like they've got a lot of stuff they can easily do. Well US House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, joined the festivities as the keynote speaker and talked about defeating President Donald Trump in the twenty twenty elections. Paris, what did you take away from her comments? I'm trying to look at the political angle. Why is she here? I mean, yeah, her comments were mostly uh, national based. It wasn't so much about Illinois, but I mean, there's a couple of congressional seats down there. Um, I think Mike Bost in southern Illinois and then Rodney Davis in southwestern Illinois that Nancy Pelosi would like to flip to the Democratic Party. And, and there might be a chance that that happens. So it's never too early to go down there and rally and, and start ginning up support. Rodney Davis does face a pretty serious challenger uh, down there in southern Illinois. So Illinois is already 13 to 5 Democrat to Republican in the congressional delegation. Uh, you know, Speaker Pelosi would probably like that to go even further in in her party's direction. This is The Morning Shift, and you're listening to the Friday News Roundup when we break down the big stories of the week. Some other stories to know about today. The Cook County Democratic Party will gather in a giant union hall near McCormick Place today. The party is scheduled to endorse candidates for the 2020 elections. Candidates for races, including circuit court clerk and state's attorney, will give their best pitches to party bosses. The primary election is March 17th. And Democratic Illinois State Senator Tom Collerton is due to make his day debut court appearance today. Federal prosecutors in Chicago charged him with embezzling more than $274,000 from the Teamsters Union. They allege Cullerton was paid for being an organizer without doing any work. Cullerton has denied wrongdoing and has not stepped down from his seat at the state capitol. Well, let's turn to some news today. Circuit Court, or news this week, rather. Circuit Court Clerk Dorothy Brown on Wednesday announced she would not seek re-election. She's been in office for nearly 20 years and said she was convinced she would have won in 2020. Paris, what happened? Well, you heard her. She wants to go to the next level. Uh, but, you know, in 2020, um, that's when she's fully vested in her county pension. So she'll be 65 years old. And uh, I think she that's a great time. You're, you're going to get your full county pension. And she probably has prospects to uh, go um, be a consultant. You know, she on the side when she ran for mayor, she listed as her side income uh, church 
motivational speaker or church consultant. She goes to churches. She's very popular in churches in the West and the South Side. And she actually makes money being a motivational speaker. So there's there's certainly things um, that she'll be able to do. But she's amazing. I mean, you know, there's been this federal probes into her office for years and years and years. And, and, and every day you wonder, well, are they going to get Dorothy Brown? There's been all these allegations of pay to play of you gave her $10,000 to her campaign. You could get a job or you could get a promotion or, you know, the, the infamous jeans day where people were paying for the privilege of wearing jeans. And yet, you know, two former top aides have been ensnared for lying to the FBI. They're convicted. Uh, but Dorothy Brown is untouched. And it looks like unless something happens in the next year and a half, she's going to end her career in public service without any federal indictment. And Monica, we should say, despite uh, this federal investigation hanging over her head, Dorothy Brown was considered the front runner in this race. Your thoughts about that? She is a very popular politician in Chicago. People people like her. People vote for her. And, she, um, you know, she's won five elections, I think. So yeah, um, there wasn't really a reason to think she wouldn't win again. I think some of the surprise was maybe two or three terms ago where people said, wait, is she running for re-election? And she was. So I almost think now it feels like it's surprising that she's not running because people had expected her to walk away a long time ago. Well, there's speculation and she and she, she denies any of this. Well, maybe there was some deal cut with the feds that they said step down. And she says, absolutely not. That's that's not a part of this at all. Well, in other election news, Cook County State's attorney Kim Fox is facing several challengers in her reelection bid. And it, it may be too early to tell. But Kim, are there serious contenders here? I can't do predictions because I'll always be wrong. But, you know, Kim Fox came in. She ousted Anita Alvarez. She was one of the first in this kind of national wave we see growing of, you know, so-called progressive prosecutors, uh, progressive DAs. Her challenge throughout this entire term has been showing that a less punitive approach to the office is not inconsistent with um, better safety. And if she can make that message resonate, then she'll be okay. But there are a lot of people who you know, don't like these bond reforms that she's pushing for. They don't like this less punitive approach. So she's going to have to find a way to make that message stick because she is very popular among a lot of criminal justice reform folks. But the other thing to keep in mind is that voters are historically very bad at accurately assessing the true level of crime. You know, they, they think things are w- worse than they are. So if she can't fight that perception, that that might be a particular challenge. And she's gotten significant pushback from the FOP. Oh. Paris, talk about that. Yeah, she's gotten a lot of pushback from the FOP uh, over those issues. And then also the fraternal over, order for, uh, police. Uh, yes, the fraternal order police. Mm-hmm. Um, and over, um, you know, the handling of the Jesse Smollett case. There's just a lot of worry that somehow that she, you know, the fix is in here, that she, she let this guy go um, with this cooked up deal where he only had to pay $10,000. But, you know, the Fraternal Order Police right now, it's it's moved very, very far to the right. They're at war with with anyone that, that wants to question anything that the police do. So Kim Fox is, you know, just one of their kind of boogeymen. Well, we should say former prosecutor Bill Conway, one of the contenders in this race, picked up a $500,000 donation from his father, billionaire Carlisle Group co-founder William Conway Jr. And Monica, I'm curious about the money. Um, And when we look at the 2016 race, uh, let's see, Kim Fox ran a campaign about $2.6 million. How common is it for us to see this kind of money in local races? Well, I think it's pretty common in, in local races. I don't know how common it is in states' attorneys' races. I think 
what Kim Fox has now that she didn't have four years ago. People know who she is. She is out there. Certainly these these people who are trying to compete with her are going to need to raise a significant amount of money and get their names out there because probably most people have not heard of them. Hmm. Um, but I think Kim Fox's challenge comes from both the left and the right. And I think that's the challenge of all of this group of progressive so-called progressive prosecutors around the country, the reform prosecutors, that they are facing certainly difficulties from the FOP and groups who feel that, you know, she's too liberal. But she's going to be very tested on sort of what has she done? Has she lived up to all the promises? I think that's a difficult thing for any of these prosecutors to do to really satisfy the people who supported her as a reform prosecutor. And especially if it comes out that there was some kind of funny business with this Jesse Smollett stuff. I mean, you know, there's there's questions around why was she texting with Tina Chen, um, who's the former uh, chief of staff for First Lady Michelle Obama. Why did she recuse herself but then still somehow – if it reveals that something weird happened here, then she's probably likely in more trouble. But short of that, I mean, she's still going to have, I think, the support of Tony Preck who's the head of the party, and she's going to have all that kind of Cook County Democratic backing. Mm -hmm. You're listening to the Friday News Roundup when we break down the biggest local news stories of the week. Our panel today includes WTTW political correspondent and host Paris Schutz, the New York Times Chicago Bureau Chief Monica Davey, and Kim Belweer, a Chicago-based freelance reporter. Other stories to know about today, Chicago police say they're launching two new technology centers to help process video evidence faster. The goal is to increase clearance rates for homicides and non-fatal shootings. City officials announced the centers yesterday Yesterday, they'll be in the central and northern parts of the city and follow a pilot center on the city's south side. Detectives will use the centers to process videos faster from private surveillance and cell phone footage. And the Chicago Air and Water Show is this Saturday and Sunday. It's free and open to the public. Visitors can watch the show along the lakefront from Fullerton to Oak Street with North Avenue Beach as the central location. Um, I want to turn briefly to the stalled plan to build a golf course in, in Jackson Park, arguably the biggest name in golf, Tiger Woods, is attached to the plan. Kim, just remind us of the context here. There is a plan to connect the Jackson Park and South Shore golf courses and making kind of this very uh, premier golfing area. I think the the closest area right now where you could have some of these big, you know, PGA tournaments is out in the suburbs. So this would be something really attractive for, you know, kind of making Chicago a destination for golfing. Plans are also calling for things that are supposed to be beneficial to the community, you know, free golfing for kids, things like that. But that would mean some pretty significant changes as far as infrastructure, some existing nature habitat. And it's a big development, which, like we've seen with the Obama Presidential Center can rankle some um, of the local residents who worry about gentrification coming from that. And we should say that Mayor Lori Lightfoot has been, I think, we can say lukewarm, lukewarm. At, at best, Paris? Yeah. yeah, lukewarm at best. And the person that's the biggest champion right now is the Fifth Ward Alderman, Leslie Hairston, uh, who really wants to make it happen. There was some controversy where she said that that nature preserve was dead. Was dead and, <laughs> and the, you know, the, the groups that are fighting against this are groups that really like the parks down there. They're saying, no, this, this park is is alive and well, and I don't know where they're going to get the funding to really even do this. This is going to take tens of millions of dollars at least. There's really not a lot of room. There's not a big footprint there, and you want to make a PGA 
championship level course where you're going to have events with spectators. And also the the issue is, are you going to make a course so that people in the neighborhood can't use it? I mean, they're going to have to raise greens fees uh, to use a championship level course. And right now, it's pretty affordable for people to go there and, and play golf in the neighborhood. And there is some connection here to the Obama Presidential Center, Monica. I assume that there are a bunch of funding questions around the golf plan. But these are some of the same groups that are concerned about both. Um, so so you have the people who are concerned about the Jackson Park nature area and, and whether or not it is dead, which, as I understand it, it is not dead. <laughs> but uh, it does feel like you know, the Obama Center has been challenged in court and has faced a tough battle. And I think that the people working on this golf uh, plan need to think about facing some of the same concerns. We're talking about the same area. On the other hand, these are ambitious plans for some areas of the city that don't always get a lot of attention. I don't think you want to immediately turn away from them entirely. I think all of this is possible. It's just a matter of getting over significant hurdles. And the lakefront, there's a long promise of protection of the lakefront, and people prize that, um, understandably. That's it for the Friday News Roundup. Thanks to our panel today, Monica Davey of the New York Times, Pira Schutz of WTTW, and freelance journalist Kim Belware, who we are saying goodbye to on the Friday News Roundup because Kim is headed to Washington, D.C. to a new gig at the Washington Post. Kim, congratulations. We are going to miss you. I'm going to miss you all so much. You can always come back. I'll call in. Call in. Yeah. They've got they've got radio out Just there. Remind them out there that Chicago is a big city that exists here in the middle of the country. I want everybody to know I wore a Chicago style hot dog pin to my interview. I think nice. that was my good luck there totem. Go. Carry us with you everywhere. <laughs> And watch your phone for the Sunday edition of the Morning Shift podcast. Until then, I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.